This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome Renee Reyna to the show. Renee finished her PhD in psychology days before quarantine hit here in Toronto. And while in quarantine with her toddler, she gained a large following on TikTok with her honest mom-related content and has since started the Mom Room podcast. She's known for her honest, no BS, real-life approach to motherhood in her funny reels and TikTok videos. And she's been open about her position on being one and done with having children. I asked Renee to come on today to talk about her experience with coming to the decision to be one and done, if she's ever felt a peace about it or felt judged by others about that decision, and how she's navigated the impacts of that decision, such as the pressure from other people or the comments that they make, or whether she's had guilt or uncertainty about that decision. So this is a real, honest mom chat about the choice to be one and done. Let's listen in on my conversation with Renee. Hey mamas, have you heard the exciting news? We are rolling out a wellness clinic across the country. That's right, Canada's first maternal mental health nationwide clinic. So far, we are offering services in Ontario. We've recently added Alberta and Saskatchewan. And while you're listening to this, we may be rolling out additional provinces in your location. To learn more and find a maternal mental health specialist that can serve you in your adjustment to motherhood, head to happyasamother.co slash wellness. That's happyasamother.co slash wellness. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Renee, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. It's kind of funny timing because we're coming off of having just like met in real life for the first time. We got to have dinner and attend mom fest. So I feel like I just saw you, but I'm so excited to be here with you today. I know. When I was looking at my calendar, I was like, oh, I'm hanging out with Erica again. (laughs) I know. I love it. Oh, goodness. That was such a funny experience because I think you and I both are in a similar position where, and I use the term influencer loosely for my role, but like we became influencers or grew an audience in COVID, in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And this was, I don't know about you, but one of the first events that I got to attend in person. So So to see like you and my friend Jess from Our Mama Village in real life for the first time was just so refreshing and so fun. Yes. I know. And like we were saying, when we were at dinner, you follow these people every day. So it's weird. Then you see them in person and you feel like you already know them. So there isn't that like 
awkwardness of, oh, I'm just meeting someone for the first time. It's like, no, I've been seeing her every day since 2020. So right. <laughs> I know Instead her. of like, oh, how many kids do you have? What are their names? I'm like, how's yes. Milo doing? Is exactly. He feeling <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it so much. One of the things that we were unpacking a little bit at dinner that I actually didn't get into the full story with because there was a bunch of us there is you finished your PhD in the pandemic. Is that correct? Was that the timing on it? Yeah. So I defended my dissertation, which is kind of like the last big thing that you do a few days before Toronto shut down for quarantine. Okay. So I was in Ottawa, did that defense. And then a couple days later, it was like stay in your house and daycares are closed. So it was, yeah, yeah, it was crazy. I find it so interesting how so many of the people I interview on here are like professionals or have gone through and done their master's or their PhD. And then the majority of them have found themselves into like the content creation space. Mm-hmm. How did how did this come about for you? Your TikTok page, your audience, some of your research and like your background, I'm sure can pull into some of the stuff that you do, but it's really more motherhood related and kind of lighthearted, the stuff that you do. So how did you find yourself in this role? Yeah, yeah, it was bizarre. I think after I had Milo, because a lot of my train, well, my training is in psychology. So I'm already very self like reflective and you know, like, oh, why do I feel this way? Like I overthink and overanalyze a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So after I had Milo, I had a 12 month maternity leave from the program. And I remember just being shocked by so many things that I was experiencing, whether it be like emotional things, or even just the physical recovery after giving birth. And I did not have a traumatic labor or delivery by any means. I didn't have, you know, like bad physical trauma, like with regard to tearing or anything like that. And I still found it to be overwhelming. And I was shocked at how in pain I was and just how you're trying to recover from something so major. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, trying to take care of a little baby that you just met. And that, you know, for me, it was my first time. So It was just like, wow, this is wild. And what really shocked me was that nobody, like I knew many women who had babies and I had never heard anyone talk about any of these things. Yeah. And so I was like sitting there thinking about all the women that I knew, like friends and family who had had babies within the last few years. And I was like, did they feel this way? Like, did they go through this? I was shocked. So Initially, I had started a blog during that 12-month maternity leave, and I was just talking about things like I did not want to have visitors in the house for a few weeks after having Milo, which I did not expect at all. Mm-hmm. I assumed I would love to have people come over and, you know, just like you see on TV, like everyone comes over, holds the baby. It's just this big, happy, glorious time. And I did not feel like that at all. I didn't want anybody over. And so I wrote a blog about that. I posted about it on Instagram. And at the time, I didn't really have like a big following. It was mostly family and friends. Mm. But the reaction was like, oh, everybody actually does feel this way, but people aren't talking about it. So 
I continued with the blog, writing about like the physical recovery, about pelvic floor stuff, just things that I was finding interesting and learning about in my maternity leave. Mm -hmm. And then when quarantine happened, I had kind of at the same time discovered TikTok and was trying to figure out how to use it. And then I just had time in quarantine to kind of translate all the things that I was writing about on the blog into little entertaining videos. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how it started. And then I just had more time to put into creating social media content. And then I started the podcast and it just kind of turned into what I'm doing now. Snowballed from there, right? And I think that you have a really fun and more lighthearted way of talking about some of the real challenges and struggles that moms face. Like I come from a maternal mental health perspective and we were kind of joking at the event on Monday, like I'm a different kind of influencer. <laughs> oh yeah, that was so right. Funny. So funny. The one that like talks about medications and you know yeah. mental health. And there's a real sort of seriousness to the content that I put out there often. And Jess and I, our mama village, we were joking like how the TikTokers we went to this event with were so like fun and lighthearted and good small talkers. And Jess and I are like in the corner having a serious conversation about like childhood trauma and like all this <laughs> random stuff. Just so funny to see the differences. But I think that in the pandemic, when everything was so hard, having mm. somebody who can really speak to an experience that someone's going through and in like a entertaining way, I'm just going to sit there with my morning coffee and clear my like Renee notifications, <laughs> you know, because it's just, it was just such perfect timing, I think, for content like yours. So like you and like the fruits of motherhood of the world and things like just, I'm sure so many moms are sitting there with their coffee in the morning going through content, just like, yeah, this is, she gets it, you know? It's funny because I think a lot of people are surprised, you know, if you just saw my TikToks and then found out that I had a PhD in psychology, like I think a lot of people are surprised by that. But when I think back to grad school, something that I always think about is how when I would do like presentations or like certain course like projects for courses I would always get the comment of like you know it could be a little bit more professional but I would always (laughs) I would always get like an A plus like A plus covered all the content like everything was good but just maybe in the delivery like a little bit more professional and like I don't think a fellow, like a male student would ever get that comment, but I always seem to get that comment and it stuck with me. And I was like, well, you know what? Like, that's just not who I am. Like when I present something to a class, I want it to be entertaining and I want to throw in like little funny gifts from Big Bang Theory and like, you know, make it enjoyable. So I think TikTok just kind of, that's where I should be, I guess. Yeah, it really draws on all your strengths, which is cool. And I think that in a professional world, I've talked about it on the podcast before, it's been really scary to step out into social media because it's kind of like the wild, wild west. And when we're talking licenses and we're talking about how we should behave and how we should represent ourselves, like there's such a loaded bunch of expectations in our field that come with that. So TikTok, I can imagine even that much more because like Jess Mm -hmm. and I are posing for this like picture in front of the Eiffel Tower and then the TikTokers are like dancing around in front of their phones. And it's just like such a different, even in the type of content recreate to what you guys were creating, but it's so much fun and that's what people relate to. So 
I think it's amazing that you're using your skills and your knowledge as well as, you know, your just like talents and strengths in that way to create content that resonates. So that's awesome. One of the things that you've talked openly about and that we're here to discuss a little bit more in depth today is this concept of being one and done, you know? Yeah. I say it sort of like in air quotes as if like, why do we even have to defend and have this conversation, (laughs) you know? But here we are. Because you've got Milo. Milo is three. Mm -hmm. He's the same age as my young Axel. And so we're kind of in the same stage with them. How did you guys, like you are one and done and you've talked about it. Like how did that come about? How did that decision come about? Okay. It's so strange because again, you have these expectations before you have kids and then oftentimes that can change. So growing up, like I grew up with my brother and my sister. So there was three of us. Okay. For the most part, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And I always kind of idealized that family situation. Like Mm -hmm. I would love to stay home, have like two or three kids. Like in my mind, that's kind of what I thought I would – like what would happen for me in my life. Right. But then, you know – you get into school. I loved school, stayed in school for as long as possible. And so now all of a sudden, I'm having my first child at like 34, I think. Yeah, 34. And I was having a child was not at all what I expected. It was very hard, like much harder than anybody ever. Like it's you can't even put it into words how difficult it is. And I remember thinking, when I was in the early weeks of postpartum, like, I don't want to do this again. Mm -hmm. But then of course, like once Milo started to become a little more independent. Oh, and I should say my husband's an only child. So for him, he didn't have that thought like, oh, you need to have siblings. You know, he didn't really have that. And he was okay with just having one Hmm. and still is. But I do remember when there was one specific moment where because I was always kind of like, back and forth. Yeah. Thinking that I would like to have one. But then when I really sit down and think about it, I'm like, I don't want to go through that again. And I like the idea of it is great. But when I actually sit and think about what that entails, like how our lives would change with more children, Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily want that. So it's a hard like, it's hard. And I've had people DM me before saying like, I'm actually seeing a therapist for this issue because they can't. You wouldn't believe how many people this brings into my office specifically in this decision. Mm -hmm. Because it's hard and you go back and forth and it's such a major life-changing decision. But I remember specifically, I was at the grocery store by myself with Milo and he was, this was pre-quarantine. He was sitting in the little buggy and I remember pushing him through the grocery store thinking like, I am so happy with just him. Hmm. Like, I just want it to be him. And it just like, I don't know what it was about being at the grocery store. (laughs) But I was just like, I just had this thought, like, I only want it to be him. But yeah, it is a difficult decision. And still, you're kind of like, when I went through all the reasons why it would be good to have more children, it's always like these idealizations which are not necessarily going to come true. Mm. Like, oh, they're going to be the best friends and they're going to have each other for the rest of their life. But then in reality, some siblings don't even speak to each other. Right. And they actually like just cause each other a lot of stress throughout their lives. Like you can't guarantee that you're going to have this 
fairy tale situation if you have multiple kids. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't know. I think I just really think about like reality. It realistically is going to translate into for you instead of these romanticized ideals like you're talking about. Yes. And it's really interesting. You touched on a point here that I think is so important is like your mom was like the stay-at-home mom that had three kids and like our motherhood roadmaps that we have developed for ourselves come from our own observing of our own mothers most of the time for better or for worse like what we want to embody or what we absolutely do not want to embody comes from observing our own mothers the majority of the time So you're looking at your mother and thinking, okay, like this is the ideal, this is the roadmap. And now here I find myself in this position where, ooh, I don't know that that's actually what I want, right? Yeah. When I was in maternity leave, I was like, holy, like, wow. My mom had three little kids. My dad worked out of the country, like a lot for months at a time. And she was by herself with three little kids. But when you're the little kid in that situation, you're just like, woo, this is great. My mom's the best. Like, yeah. But it must have been so difficult for her. I can't imagine because just me in my maternity leave with a husband that came home every night and, you know, plenty of family support around with one child, I was like, I do not want to stay home Mm. with kids. Like I'm, I don't feel fulfilled. I don't enjoy it. I need to be doing my own thing and like setting goals for myself. But before I had Milo in my mind, I was like, oh yeah, stay at home mom. That's exactly what Mm. I would love to do. Yeah, it's so interesting. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, It's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc dot com slash momwell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. 
Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed. But the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Ashirin Areem's Psyched Mummy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create all the rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code rage20. That's momwell.com slash rage, code rage20. I talk a lot about how motherhood is like changing and I'm actually like writing a book about how much motherhood is shifting right now because I don't know that let's say my mom's generation had the choice to say, oh, I want to be a mom or I don't want to be a mom or I want to be a mom of one or two. Like I feel like mothers fell into these roles where they were the children rearers and they sacrificed so much of their identity and themselves in order to fulfill that role. And now uh, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a mother is evolving and shifting so much that I think that there's a lot more freedom and autonomy to choose what our role looks like versus having it prescribed to us. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to evaluate this norm or this ideal and say, okay, well, maybe it fit for my mom or it fits for other families, but it doesn't fit for me. And, you know, our family values this freedom and flexibility, or I'm just really content to have one, or we've decided that because of our age or our finances or whatever the decisions are that go into making that choice, that I'm really content where I am. When you got to making that choice, was there a feeling of like pressure or like now I have to explain myself to others? Like, what do you feel like was the fallout, again, air quotes, of that choice? I love this question because I had never really thought about it. And I wrote a whole blog post about this shortly after I had Milo, because when I was in the mindset that we were just going to have one and I was certain about it, when people would ask us, because everybody always asks like, oh, do you, are, are you guys planning on having more or are you trying for like a second? Like I would never just be honest and be like, no, we're not, we're just having one. I would always say like, oh, I don't know. Like, we'll see, you know, like I couldn't just be like straightforward. No, we're only having one because obviously I knew that there was, you know, people would kind of be taken aback by that answer or feel like we needed to have more than one. Like 
somehow I already knew that people had those thoughts. So I would answer according to how I thought they wanted me to answer like, Mm. Oh, I don't know, we'll think about it instead of just being like, No, we're having one. And so once I realized that I was doing that, I was like, Well, why am I doing that? And that's why because I think people expect you to want to have more than one child. And I always when I asked myself, Renee, why aren't you being honest? I felt like if I said I didn't want to have more than one, that people would assume that I didn't like being a mom. Like, oh, Mm. she had one. She doesn't like it. She hates it. Now she doesn't want more. Mm -hmm. Or like, oh, she must regret having the one that she has because she doesn't want more kids, which is totally not the case. If someone was like, if you could go back to your life as, you know, not having any kids or stay where you are, I would stay where I am. Mm -hmm. But you just have these like insecurities when you say that you just want one child. Also, what I found is if it would be like a friend of mine who had multiple kids and they would ask if I wanted more, if I was very straightforward and like, oh, no, 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 like we just want one, I felt like they were thinking that I was looking at what they had with multiple kids and being like, I don't want that, Mm. you know? So like you couldn't win either way. Either way, I'm like overthinking what other people are taking from my answer. Right. So it was really strange. It's really hard. And I think that this expectation comes up. It's interesting how even like I've got three kids, three boys, and people will still be like, are you going to try for that girl? And like I, I would I would crawl under the table and not come out. Like if, you know, like no, we're so done, right? But there's yeah. still this like, well, you have three boys, you've got to try for a girl. Or like there's just these expectations that come out from people, and I think that it takes a realizing that the pressures and expectations of other people. Like they don't have to live with the outcomes of those decisions. So they're not in a position to sort of pressure us or make them for us because they're not the village that shows up in the middle of the night with this second postpartum experience that maybe we didn't want or didn't ask for, right? So that's a piece that actually plays in a lot I hear from clients is I had a really maybe traumatic first time experience or it was so different from my expectation of motherhood, like so vastly different that I just don't ever want to do that experience again. And I actually parsed this out a little bit in therapy because I think that there's two different ways that we make decisions. I think we make fear-based decisions and then we make, you know, like calculated sort of risk-oriented decisions. Like if, for example, you're thinking, I want three, but I had this like really terrifying labor delivery experience, but somewhere inside, I will be so hurt and, you know, regret not having another, but because of fear, I choose not to. Well, that's a fear-based decision that's maybe rooted in some trauma or some anxiety that absolutely can be processed through with a therapist if like your you know, heart's desire kind of cliche really is to have a bigger family. You can process that through and maybe you get to the place where you want to and then maybe you accept that it's not for you. But either way, there is some processing there, right? Yeah. Versus you and your husband, as you described, like talking it through, hashing it out. We're actually really so cozy in our unit of the three of you and not feeling that tug or pull, though 
I suspect it does surface at times, does it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. But yeah, that's what I was saying. And then if I actually sit and think, yeah, like, okay, Renee, yeah, it's great when you see these cute, like, family or baby moments on Instagram where everything's perfect and, you know, like, oh, like another, like, you know, sitting in the living room thinking, oh, what if I had a little baby in my arms, you know? Like at MomFest, when I went to the day before where it was during the day, like there were so many babies there and I was just like, oh my God, the babies are so cute. Yeah. But if I really sit and think, okay, what would your life be like day to day, you know, mornings, getting ready for school? And of course, all these things are temporary, but I just don't see how that would make us any happier than we are like I Mm -hmm. if I really really think about it and I always remember I don't know if I read this somewhere I heard it someone was saying with regard to like the number of kids that someone would want to have like think about you know 10 years down the line you're sitting at like whether it be Christmas dinner or something Thanksgiving dinner whatever like think about that dinner table and what you would want it to look like. Mm. And I was like, wow, that's really great way to put it, mm-hmm. you know, like in the future, just like, what do you like think about your family 10 years down the road? And I was like, oh, that's a good way to put it. I think it helps cut through that like, oh, my like ovaries ache when I see a baby kind of feeling. Yeah. Because then I have like a three or four and a six-year-old and I think beyond the newborn stage to like the toddler (laughs) stage or the preschool stage. Oh, yeah. Or where my like kid just dropped an F-bomb the other day that I still don't know where he learned it from, you know. And then I'm like, no, no, we're good. Yeah. We're really okay. And part of this that I think moms struggle with and that I hear in session a lot too is – not feeling a 100% certainty in making that decision, right? So like, Mm -hmm. oh, when I do see a baby and I do have this little like tinge of, oh, maybe I would want another and we sort of entertain that idea for a second, it's like, oh, is that what I really want? Is Mm -hmm. that like a sign that I should have another? Am I going to regret it? I don't know if we like overanalyze or doubt or second guess our decision, Mm -hmm. right? And is there, do you think, like from your experience, a 100% certainty or is it more like, well, I'm 75% sure and so we're leading in that direction type of thing? Yeah. I think it's one of those things where some people are 100% certain. Yeah. And I think some people are kind of like, you know, for example, if I were to get pregnant this weekend because we're going away, (laughs) um, like I would not end that pregnancy. I would be like, okay, like it was meant to be. We are financially able to, we're, you know, in a good relationship. Like there was, there would be no reason for me not to. Right. So that's the difference between, I think someone like me where it's, it's like, I would rather not. And I'm really happy with how things are right Mm -hmm. now. But if it were to happen, let's say it's not like I would go out of my way to end that pregnancy. I would be happy about it, excited. And I would be like, okay, like this is going to happen. So we're going to do it. And then I think there's people that are, you know, like my one friend before she even had her first, she was like, I want three, like boom, boom, boom. And she had three, boom, boom, Mm. boom. So I think it's just, it varies from person to person. Yeah. 
I agree. And I think that this is a question or a scenario that people face even beyond that one or done. Like, how do we know when we're done, just like generally speaking? Mm -hmm. And like, we had two boys and we're like, do we try for a third? Do we not try for a third? I came from a family of two, my brother and I, and my husband came from, he's one of three. So we're kind of like, oh, we could try either way. And at two, like my like labor was so good and the postpartum experience for that baby was so – he was so chill. He's a different story now, the middle <laughs> child, as a toddler and, and school-age kid. But as a baby, we were duped <laughs> and he was so chill. And so we're like, we could do this again. And so there was like an openness but not a – like firm, we will. And then we ended up getting pregnant with our third. I actually had like an IUD in my hand, like waiting to go to the OB. Oh my God. Found out I was pregnant. And we're like, well, we're doing a third. Here we go. Right. Yeah. Another boy. But I knew once with the third, like that is my capacity. Like that is the end. That is, we had to like get a bigger house and a bigger van and like all these things to accommodate that and their car seats and their gear and stuff. And we just knew. Okay, mm-hmm. we're done. I feel like a lot of people think about, you know, ages like one to five. Like if we have another, it's like very focused on the baby stage. But I'm thinking like when they're 20 years old, like we're going to have two kids now in university. We're going to have, and people say it's being selfish and maybe. It is, but I don't know how you can be selfish over something that doesn't exist. Like, you know what I mean? It's weird when people say like, even if couples don't want any kids at all, people are like, that's so selfish. And it's like, what are you talking about? There's no, like, it's so strange, but yeah, I'm thinking like down the road when Milo's sick and we have to take him to the hospital or like last week he was sick and home for a week. If there's two kids now, like that's double the you know, stress of like, what if they're sick? What if we had a second child and they had something like a chronic illness? Mm -hmm. What if, you know, um, down the road, they're get in with the wrong crowd and they're addicted to drugs? Like I think about all these things because Mm -hmm. these are actual things that families deal with. Right. And so I'm like, no, I'm really happy with Milo. We're good. I just, I don't know. I think about all these things. Like what if they get into a relationship and the person that they're with is you know, a terrible person and it causes all this stress mm. and chaos in the family. Like, I don't know. I Maybe I watch too much Dr. Phil. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Renee, those might be anxiety-based decisions, but, but I hear you. And I think that it's really valid because we're talking about, okay, we're trying to survive the postpartum period. That's like the immediate sort of short-term pain, but then I'm going to have three kids in university all at the same time because they're like back to back a year and a half apart. And like, that's going to be a whole kind of different pain on my wallet when they get to that stage, right? So there are so many considerations beyond, can I handle the pregnancy and the postpartum period is what you're saying. I think that those are really valid and to the point of like selfishness, right? The, that you had brought up Mm -hmm. to decide, you know what? whether it's to like not have kids altogether or to like not have another kid, to decide to not make a decision because you might not be able to give it your all in a way or you're not, you know, 100% at peace with it or whatever is such a – I don't know if it's like a loving decision. I actually see it so the opposite. It's, it's the opposite a, of selfish. 
Yeah, because then you're not bringing this life into the world that is maybe resented by one partner because one wanted it and the other didn't or, you know, needs can't be met appropriately because of whatever scenario is happening or, you know, that you resent how much your lifestyle has changed or whatever. I think that's actually the role that so many women, maybe in even the, maybe our generation, but the, the generation before us where they resent their parenting role so strongly because it was prescribed to them and they felt they had to take it on. And then they lost so much of themselves that they're resentful of their role. And so when you've got a parent who is resentful of their child, then we've got a much bigger problem Mm -hmm. than having just not gone there to begin with, you know? And so I think that when we make these decisions based on our like financial and economic situation, our capacity and and even our desires to have a kid or not are all such important and valid things to take into consideration when talking about expanding our family. Yeah. And then I think a lot of people, if they use the term selfish, it's like thinking that like you're single child so milo in this case should have siblings okay you know yeah and it's like why he can live Mm. a happy like fulfilled life without having siblings as though you're depriving him in some way yes right right yes so i'll always remember my cousin had three kids like back to back to back and when i was talking to her before about how we weren't gonna have more than we're just going to stay with Milo, one one kid. She was like, oh, you're going to be that parent at the park that has to play with their kid. <laughs> there, I was like, I guess There so. is an element of that that is completely true. Um, yeah. Asherina, my business partner right now, she's, she's just got Roman and she's like, he just wants to play with me all the time. And I'm like, well, they do yeah. play with each other. I feel like that's one of the few plus <laughs> pluses of having multiple kids. Yes. And I feel like you probably get met with a lot of different reactions. Like as a mom of three kids, I look at moms of one kid like, oh, you know, there is almost, I I bet you're met with like jealousy and envy and people's opinions. Like there's just so many things that I feel like in that position you have to respond to. So can we maybe talk through for those who are listening, maybe some things that they can say to people who maybe make judgments on their decisions or who ask too many questions. It's funny that you say this because I just posted a TikTok the other day and I don't remember what I was talking about. Like something was difficult or whatever. And someone commented saying, oh, you have one kid and they go to daycare during the week. How relatable. You must have such a hard life. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so yeah, you get into this thing which happens in mom culture for some reason where it's like, don't complain. Don't like your feelings aren't valid unless, right. unless you're in the absolute worst situation. Like your child goes to daycare. You only have one kid. Even like in postpartum, like, Oh, you you had a third degree tear? Like, well, I had this and all I also had this. It's like who has it worse? Yeah, it's like a competition of like who's in the most pain or who whose scenario is worse. Yes. And we don't have to compete in our pain in order for our pain to be valid. A hundred percent. Yeah. And like I always yeah. say, it doesn't matter what someone's situation looks like on the outside or on paper. You don't know how they feel internally. Yeah. Sure, I have one 
kid. But maybe when, you know, he's throwing a tantrum or he's sick, like he was sick all last week, maybe my anxiety is through the roof because I have like anxiety issues. Like you don't know what that person feels regardless of what, you know, it looks like. Yeah. And I think that is such an important point. We see this even with birth experiences or like trauma is trauma. It's in the eye of the beholder and it's subjective. And we will see with moms who had a quote unquote vaginal or unremarkable or non-traumatic delivery, for example, and yet feel completely traumatized by it. And that's because our experience of a situation is subjective Mm -hmm. and nobody can dictate to us how that feels. The journey into motherhood and the absolute overhaul of identity that happens is real regardless of how many children or, you know, like I feel like that is a universal experience that we can all kind of relate to together in some way. And yeah, it's, you don't have to be to have it the worst or be in competition for that <laughs> to to be able to validate your own feelings or somebody else's, right? Mm-hmm. No, a hundred percent. So, and how did you respond? I feel like I'm a little jealous because we also had this conversation about how you can like respond what's on your mind more than maybe myself can in certain situations. So I recently started this thing on TikTok where I take comments like that and I'm making a little series called Toxic Mom Culture. Mm. So on TikTok, you can video reply to comments. So it'll put the comment up on the screen and then you respond to it. So that's going to be in that series, that comment. (laughs) And it's basically just me being completely sarcastic. So that's a good one. I'll probably post it today. Yeah. And I think that like having some little scripts and like scripts aren't always helpful in every situation, but I think like having a little text that you can reply or a little something that you can say to shut people down in your own tone of voice is really helpful. Like, you know, when are you going to have another one? Well, when you're ready to sign up and come take care of it, because, you know, we got a lot going on or whatever, something that feels natural for your tone or how you communicate with people that kind of just stops the conversation in its tracks. It doesn't have to be confrontational. Mm -hmm. It's just like, I'm not going to have this conversation, right? Yeah. And oftentimes people say, like, why do you respond to these people who, you know, are writing such like mean or, you know, negative comments? And I always say, I'm not responding for myself. Like, I am super confident. I am unaffected by what people that I don't even know say Mm -hmm. on my social media stuff. I respond for everyone else who hears these comments all the time, but does not necessarily have the confidence to respond or they are negatively impacted by things like, oh, they need a sibling or you know what I mean? And then it really like throws them into a spiral of ruminating over these comments that people make on these topics that are so common in motherhood. So that is why I respond. I'm not responding for myself. It's not Mm -hmm. like I see these comments and I get all worked up. It's like, I know other people out there get these all the time and I will respond for you on my platform. (laughs) Yeah. 
because we don't know ultimately the reasons behind somebody making these decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know whether their birth was traumatic. We don't know if they had an emergency C-section and had to have a hysterectomy when their baby was born. We don't mm-hmm. know anything about their life choices, nor are we entitled to know. And I think that as I've been in this field more and in my community, you know, becoming more mindful of the types of questions we ask people. Cause I feel like some of that is just like, we're trying to make conversation with other moms, mm-hmm. but then it's maybe one us expanding that conversation and learning maybe other conversation starters with other moms. And two, being comfortable to set a boundary and say, you know, we're having one or yeah, when you're ready to come and raise it for me, then I'll have another or whatever, whatever works for you. Yeah. Or even like being confident to say, you know, yeah, my kid's in daycare and I don't necessarily work every single moment yeah. that they're there. You know, sometimes I'll go run errands or sometimes I'll have a bath or sometimes I'll go on the Peloton, you know? And same with like not wanting more kids. You don't need to give someone these like huge responses to try and justify your decision. Mm -hmm. Simply like, no, we're really happy with one and we love our life as it is. Yeah. It's a great response. You know, I think moms are constantly trying to, you know, oh, you're not breastfeeding. Like that, that was me when I stopped breastfeeding. It was like, I felt like I needed to tell the person, Mm -hmm. even if I didn't know them, the full story, like, well, here's what happened, like this, this, and then I tried to pump and then freeze and like, to justify Mm -hmm. why I was not breastfeeding. And it's all these things like, oh, you did sleep training. And it's like, oh, yeah, but here's why. And it's like, you don't need to justify. These are valid choices, no matter what your reason is. It's incredible because I've gotten messages from moms who have had I guess it'd be called a double mastectomy, like their chest removed for like breast cancer and things like that, and then Mm -hmm. had had children after. And they even feel pressure and get asked like if they're breastfeeding all the time and then they have to explain, well, no, like they don't have to explain. Obviously, we can choose not to and have our boundary, but it's like I don't have breasts. Like, you know, and so those examples just go to show me like we really don't know what is behind somebody's reason for doing something in motherhood. And it's really not our position to judge. Mm -hmm. And our motherhood experience is not a cookie cutter and doesn't need to be prescribed to somebody else's because I value work doesn't mean that my, you know, maid of honor, my wedding values work. She values like homemaking and baking and we're completely different people. And I don't have to prescribe my values and approach to her. And she doesn't do that to me. And I think that when we can get a grasp on that, mm-hmm. maybe one day, Renee, we'll go, we'll all get a grasp on that. Yeah. Right? I know. And that there's no one way yeah. to properly raise a child or like have a family. Yeah. There's no right way. You can do it a million different ways. And all those kids that were in all those different situations will thrive and have the best life. Yeah. You know? Sometimes I think so many moms especially are so insecure that it's like putting down what other people are doing makes it seem to them that what they're Mm -hmm. doing is the best, Mm -hmm. is the right way. And it's like, no, there's so many different ways that your kids can live like a happy and fulfilled life. It's not just 
yeah. you know, one way. I think that's really encouraging and freeing for the moms who are listening to hear that today. And at the end of the day, like we are the ones that live with our choices and our family structure and we determine the values for that structure. And so make the decisions that are best suited for you and your family. So, oh my goodness. Thank you so much for your time today. Where can people find you? Where do you hang out online? All those things. Yes. So I am on Instagram and TikTok at Renee Rena with the little underscore thing. The podcast is called The Mom Room Podcast, and it's on all the different platforms. And then the podcast has a Instagram account, which is at The Mom Room Podcast. Yeah. And we'll link all of those things in the show notes so people can easily click through and find you. Thank you for spending your time with us today, especially as you're getting ready to go on a little getaway with hubby. I feel so special that we stole some of your time. So thank you for being here. Wish us luck. Wish my mom (laughs) luck. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they'll do great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Erica. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.